Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. God tells us that all men are created to worship, and all men worship something. Even those who think they are immune to worship and religion craft for themselves idols to worship in their hearts. They find something in creation and exalt it above their creator. God further tells us that those who worship idols will become like them. They will have ears and not hear, eyes but not see, hands but they cannot touch. Idol worshipers will become like the images of the lifeless idols they worship. For Christians, we also take on the image of the one we worship. Because of Jesus, we have been given eyes to see God and to know him. We've been given ears to hear him and obey him. We've been given hands and feet to love others as he has loved us. We've been given a mouth and a tongue to praise the name of the one who created us and who has redeemed us. We think, speak, sing, pray, and live as renewed images of the true creator and redeemer. God has turned hardened sinners into living images of himself. We were once lifeless idolaters And now he's made us Christ-like worshipers who know God and have been accepted by him. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. My heart is established in the Lord. My horn is exalted in my God. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies. I have rejoiced in thy salvation. For there is none holy as the Lord, and there is none righteous as our God. There is none holy besides thee. Boast not and utter not high things. Let not high-sounding words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and God prepares his own designs. The bow of the mighty has waxed feeble, and the weak have girded themselves with strength. They that were full of bread are brought low, and the hungry have forsaken the land. For the barren has borne seven, and she that abounded in children has waxed feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He lifts up the poor from the earth and raises the needy from the dunghill to seed him with the princes of the people and causing them to inherit the throne of glory, granting his petition to him that prays, and he blesses the years of the righteous, for by strength cannot man prevail. The Lord will weaken his adversary. The Lord is holy. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast in his strength, and let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let him that boasts, boast in this, to understand and know the Lord and to execute judgment and justice in the midst of the earth. The Lord has gone up to the heavens and has thundered. He will judge the extremities of the earth and he gives strength to our kings and will exalt the horn of his Christ. And she left him there before the Lord. We'll turn now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. First Timothy 2, 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. 
Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works and as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 22 verses 1 through 11. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, now we come to hear your word. We pray that your spirit would illumine us, make us receptive, and transform us to be like unto Christ. Bless our time together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear these words from the Gospel of John. Truly, Truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he has given to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. 
for an hour is coming in which all who, excuse me, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil to a resurrection of judgment. Well, it's Mother's Day, and you can tell by the scripture reading that I was thinking about mothers, and I just couldn't make up my mind. Am I going to do a Mother's Day sermon? I told Hyde, yeah. Told someone else, yeah. And then uh, yesterday sometime I changed my mind. And so we're going we're gonna to continue where we were. But it is Mother's Day, and I've been thinking about my mother, which made me think about my father, which made me think about doctrine. So my father died on August 31st, 1973, two weeks before I went a thousand miles away to college. He was a Pentecostal. He was Arminian. He believed you could lose your salvation. Uh, somewhere around when I was, uh, I don't know, 12, 13, or 14, I was in a store with a friend, and I bought an album. You kids don't even know what albums are anymore, I know that. I bought an album, and of course, you know, it's about yay wide, and it's in a sack, and it was folded over and stapled in the middle with a receipt on it. And I walked around to my friend, and we saw the album was one toke over the line. Yeah, I was bad. <laughs> anyway, I walked around with a friend, and they had uh, cassette tapes in little boxes that were about yay tall, and up at the top was a little plastic and the tape sitting in there. And I, he wanted a tape from Woodstock. So I just took that box, and I just slid the tape out curled up the edge of the sack, stuck it in there, and we started walking out, and somebody came up behind me and grabbed me by the shoulder. And we took a little hike to an office. All right, we saw what you did. What did I do? Oh, you took a cassette tape. And he pulled out the box. I ripped it out of it. Where's the tape? I don't know. Well, I did. It was in my sack, but the sack was stapled shut. Finally, I fessed up, and he told me if I, didn't, if I didn't go home and tell my father, the cops would come and get me. Now, you know, I was young and stupid and believed it. <laughs> and I was really afraid. So one night, we're driving home from, uh, I worked with my father uh, on a janitorial service in the evening once a week. We're driving home, so I told him. This is the doctrine part. Craig, you sinned. You're going to hell now. You lost your salvation. Now, I know that all Pentecostals don't teach that, but that particular church taught that. My mother died in March of 2005. 
she went to a Bible church. And of course, the Bible church taught eternal salvation. And uh, you can see, doctrine makes difference. I believe my dad was a saved man. I think he misunderstood quite a bit of the scriptures. But because he had his doctrine wrong, he made his son scared to hell. And it lasted with me for many years, as I've told you in the past. Well, I went to my dad's funeral, and I think that was the first funeral I've ever been to. And uh, I didn't know much about what was going on, but it was not a happy occasion, and my mother went to a different church, so it wasn't a happy situation. My dad's church ran it all, and she didn't agree with any of it. 2005, I preached my mother's sermon at her funeral. This is the text. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. It's the word abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, uh, it was some years back, before my mother's funeral, that I read a book by D.A. Carson called The Farewell Discourse and Final Prayer of Jesus. An absolutely fabulous book, and he opened my eyes to the fact that when Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, it didn't mean Jesus was going up into heaven and uh, getting the gold streets ready and, uh, you know, stacking the stones for the walls and all of that. It meant he was going by way of the cross. And by way of a cross, heaven, which already existed, would be opened up. To people who believe. Do you believe that? The hour is coming and now is when those who hear the voice of the Son of God and believe shall have life. An hour is coming when all those who are in the tomb will hear the voice of the Son of God and though and will be raised those who have done the good to a life eternal those who have done the bad to a life of judgment well of course you know and i know that that is not speaking of the rapture that is speaking of what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is talking about. And that is when time, as we know it, comes to an end. Jesus returns in what we call the second coming. And everybody's raised from the dead. 
not just the righteous, but the unrighteous. And what it says in this passage is those who have done the good to a life eternal, those who have done the bad to a life of judgment. Well, now, how do you tell the difference between the bad and the good? Where is the line? Because I'll say to people, well, have you trusted Christ? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, are you? How good are you? Well, God will accept me. I said, well, are there some people that you won't accept? Oh, yeah, there are those. Oh, I say, well, uh, are they bad? Well, yeah, they're bad. I said, well, where's the line? How do you know you're not on the bad side? Well, of course, we know when it says the good, that has more implications than just people who do good, but people who go to heaven do do good, but they go, they're raised from the dead to a life eternal because they trust Christ. And when we say they trust Christ, we don't simply mean they made a decision walking down an aisle one Sunday with a preacher who was using persuasive terminology and tweaking the strings of the heart to get you to come, such an altar call I went to at a Pentecostal church. I believe I was converted then. But when somebody says, I trust Christ, they must absolutely mean, I trust Christ. That is, yeah, he died for my sins on the cross, and they've been removed from me as far as the east is from the west, and I trust him. And if he says such and such to me, I trust him. If he says, do such and such, I trust him. I trust the king. Well, in John chapter 21, we have been looking at the third resurrection manifestation of Jesus, where he appeared to his disciples. And in this case, there were seven of them. And they had gone fishing, and they hadn't uh, caught anything all night. And someone's standing on the shore and says to them, you know, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and they do. And they get this humongous catch. And uh, the one who loved whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, in the Gospel of John, most assuredly is John, and it doesn't mean somehow that he loved John better than Peter. What it means is that John was fixated on the fact that Jesus loved him. So he described himself that way. I'm the loved one. Was Peter the loved one? Of course he was. Anyway, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so Peter, who was naked, as we said last week, girded himself and swam to shore, covering up his nakedness. And uh, the fish were brought in, and they all stood around a fire, a coal fire, and they ate fish and bread. This was Jesus' third appearance after the crucifixion to the disciples. There were other appearances. 
And we said there's a contrast, going back to chapter 18, where uh, John and Peter followed Jesus to the high priest's house, and John went in with Jesus, but Peter didn't. John came back, and Peter was let into the courtyard. And the word courtyard there is the word for fold in John chapter 10. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I will bring them in, and they will be one flock and one fold. And so all of this imagery reminds you that when you go to the tabernacle of the temple, you go to the courtyard, and in the courtyard there's a fire. And on that fire, sacrifices are laid. That's the picture. Going all the way back to John chapter 10, as we said last week, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. Here it is, the picture. It's raised. Life has changed. So first in chapter 18, Peter was denying Christ, standing around a fire that was the high priest's fire. And darkness is the evil of Judaism. And when Christ died and rose again, he had promised that he would destroy it. And so he did in A.D. 70. The temple was destroyed. The sacrifices were destroyed. The religion was dead. It's still dead today. Oh, there are Jewish people. I don't know how much Jewish blood they have in them. And they still go through certain rituals. But of course, they don't have the bronze altar. They don't have the temple. They don't have the Holy of Holies. It's all meaningless. Jesus began a revived Israel called the church. And he himself is the temple. And so that's this manifestation, and it brings the Gospel of John from one end to the other end right together. This is called the epilogue, the word based on what's been said. Destroy this temple, now a new temple's created. And then he goes on, as we saw last week, and we're getting to where we're going. He goes on to talk to Peter. So remember in Luke chapter 22, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And once you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Well, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, according to Luke chapter 24, verse 34, Jesus did appear to Simon. And one can only guess that because of his threefold sin, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. That he was forgiven because, after all, Jesus turned while on trial and looked at Peter when the cock crowed, and Peter wept bitterly. And on that appearance, you can bet his sin was taken away. You are forgiven. But now, this is the matter of restoration. Sometimes when we fall, when we sin, of course God is gracious and will forgive our sins, but sometimes when we fall, it changes our service. 
Many a preacher has fallen into sin, and they're not a preacher anymore because they fell into sin. Does God forgive them? Yes. So the question is, okay, you told me I'm going to strengthen my brother. Now, what about that? So you have, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. So a threefold restoration to service. Do you love me? Oh, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. So he's restored. Then comes some interesting details that are not often commented on. Uh, Well, they're not commented on very much. If you would turn to John chapter 21 and look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, he's just said, feed my sheep three times. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Now, when Jesus was lifted up, that had significance too. Now, Peter, we don't know what kind of death. There's a, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a myth, probably not true, that Peter was crucified upside down. We don't know that to be the case. But we do know from this text that Peter would give up his life for the sake of the gospel. He mentions that fact in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he says, I know that my putting off of this earthly dwelling is imminent as the Lord also has told me. Did Peter get some new revelation? No, I don't think so. Here it is. It's found right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you're young, this is what you did. But when you're older, so when Peter writes 2 Peter, now he's an older man and he knows his departure, his exodus is imminent. But here in John 21, he's a young guy still. And Jesus tells him, someone else is going to gird you and take you where you don't want to go. Now, this signified the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so if I come and I tell you, okay, you know, you're living the good life and you're serving the Lord, 25, 30 years from now, you're going to be taken away and tortured for Christ. Would you stick with him? Jesus says, follow me. Well, it's easy to say yes. But of course, when persecution has come over the centuries, there are many people that have 
in that kind of case, denied Christ. In fact, Jesus said just that kind of thing in Matthew chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 24, that times are going to get so bad that even uh, your own kids will turn you over to death. Will you follow then? And the one who has endured to the end, he shall be saved. That is, if you turn your back on Christ, there is no salvation. Now, theologically, one has to deal with that. We're not going to deal with it this morning. That's not where we're going, but that is the point. We like to sing the song, He Will Hold Me Fast, which is true. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. And through faith, Christ does hold us fast. And we must believe that he will hold us fast. And if someone is not held fast in the end, or someone turns away from the faith, gives it up and says, no more of that, I don't believe that stuff anymore, the cost is too high, as so many disciples did in John chapter 6, then theologically you have to deal with it. Does that mean one can lose the gift of eternal life? Or does that mean someone never had it? Well, we're not going down that road. You know what I think on that score anyway. Then verse 20 says this. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And the one who also leaned on Jesus' breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it? Who is the one who will betray you? So you, you know the picture. They're all, they're all lying like this. Let's see if an old man can do it. <laughs> like this, and they're eating. And so the guy that's over here next to him he just leans back and talks to Jesus, and that, that, that's John. And you notice that we're told this whole thing. We already know it from chapter 10. Why are we told it again? Well, Peter's really a whole lot like Judas. Chapter 18 tells us. When Judas came with the cohort, he was standing with them. We're told it twice in chapter 18. And then when Peter is at the charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest, he's standing with the people. He's a lot like him. Well, he didn't betray him because the word betray means you, you take this and you hand it over. And that's, but Peter came awfully close. He denied him. And so, you know, we're, we're building the scenario here. Look at what John leaned back and said, and look at who Peter is, and look what Jesus has done. He has forgiven him, and he has restored him to service. And one might even say, among the 12 apostles, the preeminent apostle. Because when you read Acts, most of the story is about Peter. Peter turns around and he sees John. In 21, Peter, <clears throat> therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, and what about this man? Okay, so 
when Jesus rises from the dead and he makes appearance, it has to do with Jesus showing himself because he is coming again. Hang on, we're going to see that here. And so Peter's thinking, okay, I'm going to serve, 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 and I'm going to die. Now, what about John? What about the apostle John? Well, you know, we're big into comparison, aren't we? All of us like to compare so we can push ourselves up. But on this little deal, <laughs> you want to push yourself down. No, I don't really want to die. Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, not your business. So, all around this room, we're all, we're all getting older. Some of us are aging rapidly. I'm one of them. This morning at 3.30, I reached for a paper towel and knocked a pitcher over on a granite counter, and it shattered. You know, crash! And I thought, wow. So I said to Grace later on, was that uh, worth anything? I don't know. We got it for a wedding present. I said to myself, I hope that's not an omen. It's not going to make it to the 44th. I hope I'll make it to the 44th. Because you know the story there in Ecclesiastes. The pitcher is shattered and the chain is broken. Well, what about this man? Not your business, but if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This saying, therefore, went out among the brethren, that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, when you look at that, what do you see? Why is it there? We don't talk much about that. Well, what I see is a big implication. And the big implication is Jesus is going to come before John dies. Right? I have precedent for it. Because Jesus has already said something like that. He said it in Matthew. He said it in Mark. He said it in Luke. John doesn't want to be left out. Here it is. It's in John. If I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? So in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the apostles and, uh, you know, he sends them out and tells them to go out and you're like sheep among wolves. Uh, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And then he goes on to tell what's going to happen to them, how they're going to be persecuted and scourged in the synagogues and sent out of one city to another. Just like what happened in the book of Acts. It's all about that. 
undeniable. And then he says, you won't finish going through the cities of Israel until I come. Oh, that cannot be a second coming. No, it's not. Then in chapter 16 of Matthew, chapter 8 of Mark, chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus gives the call to discipleship that we all like. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He who wants to save his life will lose it, and the one who loses it will save it. What shall a man be profit of if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For I'm coming, in, uh, with, uh, I'm coming uh, with my holy angels to render to everybody according to what they've done. And some of you who are standing here will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in the power and the kingdom. Oh, Jesus already said it. I'm coming back before all of you are dead. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You're not going to remain until I come. You're going to die. You're not just going to die of old age. You're going to die the death of one who's persecuted. And of course, we get to the book of Acts, and by the time Peter and John are persecuted and whipped and flogged, they count it joy that they're worthy to suffer for Christ. The whole attitude is beginning to change, isn't it? But right here, Peter's worried. But it shows us something. It shows us that we gotta, we got to fix, fix the way we think. Because every time we see coming, we just... We see the end. It's just not so. And so you ask, well, Craig, okay, what's the difference? This is one thing I'm asked. Well, what's the difference? Okay, here's my dad over here saying, Craig, you've sinned. You now lost your salvation. You're going to hell. And here's my mom sitting over here saying, no, you can't lose your salvation. Jesus will forgive you. There's a whole lot of difference between those two poles. Yeah, but Craig... Uh, what if this position is correct and this position's incorrect? What difference does it make? Well, there are several differences it makes. First of all, Jesus isn't trying to trick us. So the fact that there's an all-millennialist, a post-millennialist, see, that's in the center, it's right, and a, and a pre-millennialist, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be a pan-millennialist. Let it all, no. God wrote it down, and he wrote it to you. And he wants you to figure it out. But you've got to step back, take your systematic theology, toss it out the window. You know why? Because when you've got that scaffolding built, you can't see anything anymore. You've got to get rid of the scaffold. Are systematics fine? Of course they're fine. But they're so fixed in our mind, we cannot look and observe. And here we are at the end. And Jesus has appeared the third time. And he's restored Peter. But he's told Peter, you're going to die. But he's left the implication that John's not 
going to die. Now, turn back to John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to translate it this way. You believe in God. Now, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, when I used this text at my mother's funeral, I taught the text as if it was talking about the second coming. And of course, we know from passages like 1 Corinthians 15, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, and a host of other passages, there is a second coming, and Jesus is coming back. We don't need to worry about that. He's coming. But is that what this passage is talking about? And I submit to you, no, that's not what it's talking about. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks to his disciples. And uh, if you would, just look down to verse 16 of chapter 14. And Jesus says, well, we need to read uh, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him. They can't see him, they can't have it or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, wait a minute. How did the Holy Spirit abide with him? Well, if you remember in John, John chapter 3, Jesus has the Spirit in fullness, and he's walking around with him. So, so is the Spirit. And Jesus is a helper, and the Spirit is another helper of the same kind. So if you see Jesus, you're seeing the Spirit. Well, you're actually seeing the Father, too. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, after a, a little while, the world will behold me no more. You will behold me because I live, you will live also. And then just look down at verse 20, 21. He who has my commandments, the one who loves me, and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Look down at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, said, said to them, if him, excuse me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my he will keep my word, and my father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Jesus says, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And it's clear what he's talking about here. He's talking about the day of Pentecost. He's going to come back at the day of Pentecost by giving them the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to dwell in them, and the Spirit's going to mediate to any believer after Pentecost the presence of the Father and the presence of the Son. They're not going to be orphans. It has to be the Father because orphans lack a father. And if you're not going to be an orphan, you've got to have a father. Who's the Father? The Heavenly Father. That's who the Father is. Now turn to chapter 16 of uh, John. And we get another text here. Chapter 16, verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples, therefore, said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us a little while and you will not behold me and again a little while and you will behold me what is this and because i live you will live also and so they were saying what is this that he is saying a little while. We do not know what he is saying. Jesus uh, knew that, that they uh, wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while? and you will behold me. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will seek, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he goes on to describe, like when a woman has a child, she's sorrowful because of the pain, but afterwards, is full joy. So too, you're going to be sorrowful, but you're going to see me and you'll rejoice. So you have one coming, I'm going to come to you, that happens at Pentecost. He comes in the person of the Spirit. But there's another coming, he's going to come to them, well, what? Right after resurrection, on the first day of resurrection, he comes and they're, they're full of joy. They're sorrowful. He's died and what's going to become of the whole thing? It's over. But on the third day, he rises, and they see him. So you see, you have different explanations in here, but in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, you don't have an explanation. But when you put it together with the Synoptic Gospels, and you put it together with what Jesus said, what is it to you? If I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? Now, it's true. Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He said, what if I want him to remain till I come? It was being noised about that he wasn't going to die. 
But the implication is John did remain till Jesus came. So what does that mean? And that's what I want to get across. When you look at the coming passages in the New Testament, not all of them, but the ones that are contained in the synoptics like we've just discussed, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 16, the transfiguration passage. They were taken up onto Ohio. Some of you who are standing here today will not taste death till you see the kingdom coming in its power. Three, six days later, he took Andrew, James, and John up into the mountain and his glory was revealed to them. That can't be the coming that John 14's talk, I mean, that, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew. It, it, it just can't be because the implication is somebody's going to be dead when I come back. And as it turns out, probably most of them were dead, but maybe John is the only one left alive. Now, if you would, turn to 2 Peter. And I just want to make an observation from 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. And I will, uh, no, excuse me, verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir up, uh, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made known to me. I'm suggesting to you that's what happens in John 21. He's made it known that Peter's going to die. And so he's grown old. He knows this is what's going to happen. And I will also will be diligent that at any time after my exodus, after my departure, my exodus, you may be able to call these things to mind because we did not follow cleverly devised tales, myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so 
we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. What is Peter saying? Jesus said, some of you won't taste death till you see this coming. It can't be the transfiguration. It's got to be down the road. You follow Matthew from 10 to 16 to 24. All these things will happen in this generation. What is Jesus saying? I'm coming. And Jesus is saying, furthermore, I'm coming in judgment. So in A.D. 70, he took the church to be with him. Not those who were alive on the earth, those who had died. He took the church to be with him. And he destroyed the others. Uh, let's turn, it's, it, we're going to have to quit, but let's turn to Matthew. Let's see if I can find where I have it. All spread out up here. Matthew chapter 16. Sorry about that. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> Too many books going on. Okay, Matthew chapter 16. And just notice, and we're going to use this to lead to the Lord's table, but just notice verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man, uh, for what will a man uh, profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his, change the word soul to life. It's the same word, forfeits his life. Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and he will repay to every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, some there are some of, you, of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Notice when Jesus comes, he's coming with a recompense. That's what he's telling us. And that recompense happened in A.D. 70. Israel, Judaism, was crushed. And in A.D. 70, the saints that had been martyred for Christ went to be with him. Not physically raised, I'm not saying that. 
That is when people went to be with him. And we're out of time. I'd like to show you one more passage, but we'll have to delay that. Oh, maybe for one more message so we can look at Revelation 14 and 15. We shall see. But my point is, we want to know what Christ says. We want to know it, and it does make a difference. Otherwise, we end up telling people the wrong, the wrong thing. If John 14 is talking, it's, he's talking to the disciples, and if he's talking to them about a return in A.D. 70, and we use it to say this is talking about the second coming, that's a misuse of Christ's words. Now, he is coming a second time, but we need to use the right passage. And we're already past A.D. 70, so there's nothing for us to do about that. There is something to do about the future, and that is, well, to do exactly what Jesus said to Peter. He said what? Follow me. And this passage in Matthew and in Mark and Luke is appropriate to read, even though it may be talking about A.D. 70. That's what I'm suggesting to you. But it's still appropriate to read because it's a call to discipleship. What will a man give in exchange for his life? The one who endures to the end shall be saved. Stand with me. Father, we thank you that our Savior is risen from the dead, is seated at your right hand. We thank you that the process is taking place whereby his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. We thank you that one day he will return and all the dead will rise. Everyone will hear his voice. And those who have done the good, who have believed and then whose life has been transformed so they follow Christ, will receive a resurrection unto life, everlasting life. And those who have done the bad, those who have disbelieved, who said no to Christ, and their life hasn't been changed, and they've done the works of the night, the dark time, the evil, they will be raised to a life of eternal judgment. We thank you that we, your saints, who've trusted Christ, have great hope. And we thank you that we know even though our world looks terrible right now, is a mess. It is being made new, and that work will be completed when Christ returns. We give you praise and honor in Christ's name. Amen.